Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. The next few chapters vary drastically in length, so how I break the coming episodes up won't exactly match how the written chapters are broken up. However, the next six chapters will be approximately the next six episodes if everything works out right. Chapter 30, Working in Groups, Part 1. The day was Sunday, November 3rd, and soon the three great powers of their school year, Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy, and Hermione Granger, would begin their struggle for supreme dominance. Harry was slightly annoyed by the way the boy who lived had been demoted from supreme dominance to one of three equal rivals just by entering the contest, but he expected to get it back soon. The battleground was a section of non-forbidden forest, dense with trees, because Professor Quirrell thought that being able to see all the enemy forces was too boring, even for your very first battle. All the students who were not actually in a first-year army were camped out nearby and watching on screens that Professor Quirrell had set up. Except for three Gryffindors in their fourth year, who were currently sick and confined to healers' beds by Madame Pomfrey. Aside from that, everyone was there. The students were dressed, not in their ordinary school robes, but in muggle camouflage uniforms that Professor Quirrell had obtained somewhere, and had supplied in sufficient quantity and variety to fit everyone. It wasn't that students would have worried about stains and rips, that was what charms were for. But as Professor Quirrell had explained to the surprised wizardborns, nice, dignified clothing was not efficient for hiding in forests or dodging around trees. And on each uniform's breast, a patch bearing the name and insignia of your army. A small patch. If you wanted your soldiers to wear, say, colored ribbons so that they could identify each other at a distance, and risk the enemy getting their hands on the ribbons, that was all up to you. Harry had tried to get the name Dragon Army. Draco had pitched a fit and said that would confuse everyone completely. Professor Quirrell had ruled that Draco could lay prior claim to the name if he wished. So now, Harry was fighting Dragon Army. This probably wasn't a good sign. For their insignia, instead of the two obvious dragon's head breathing fire, Draco had elected to simply go with the fire. Elegant, understated, deadly. This is what's left after we've passed. Very Malfoy. Harry, after considering alternate choices like the 501st Provisional Battalion and Harry's Minions Odoom, had decided that his army would be known by the simple and dignified appellation of the Chaos Legion. Their insignia was a hand poised with fingers ready to snap. It was universally agreed that this wasn't a good sign. Harry had earnestly advised Hermione that the young boys serving under her were probably nervous about her being a girl with a reputation for being nice, and that she should pick something scary that would reassure them of her toughness and make them proud to be part of her army, like the Blood Commandos or something. Hermione had named her army the Sunshine Regiment. Their insignia was a smiley face. And in ten minutes, they would be at war. Harry stood in the bright forest clearing that was their assigned starting location, an area of open space with old and rotting tree stumps that had been cleared away for some unknown purpose, ground coated with a small scattering of blown leaves and the dried gray remnants of grass that had failed the test of summer's heat, and the sun shining down brilliantly from above. Around him were the 23 soldiers that Professor Quirrell had assigned to him. Nearly all of Gryffindor had signed up, of course, and more than half of Slytherin, and less than half of Hufflepuff, and a handful of Ravenclaw. In Harry's army, there were twelve Gryffindors and six Slytherins and four Hufflepuffs and one Ravenclaw beside himself. Not that there was any way to tell that just by looking at the uniforms. 
No red, no green, no yellow, no blue. Just muggle camouflage patterns and a patch on the breast with the device of a hand poised to snap its fingers. Harry looked upon his 23 soldiers, all wearing the same uniform with no marks of group identity save that single patch. And lo, Harry smiled, because he understood what this part of Professor Quirrell's master plan was about, and Harry was taking full advantage of it for his own purposes, too. There was a legendary episode in social psychology called the Robber's Cave Experiment. It had been set up in the bewildered aftermath of World War II with the intent of investigating the causes and remedies of conflicts between groups. The scientists had set up a summer camp for 22 boys from 22 different schools, selecting them to all be from stable, middle-class families. The first phase of the experiment had been intended to investigate what it took to start a conflict between groups. The 22 boys had been divided into two groups of 11, and this had been quite sufficient. The hostility had started from the moment the two groups had become aware of each other's existences in the state park, insults being hurled on the first meeting. They'd named themselves the Eagles and the Rattlers. They hadn't needed names for themselves when they thought they were the only ones in the park, and had proceeded to develop contrasting group stereotypes, the Rattlers thinking of themselves as rough and tough and swearing heavily, the Eagles correspondingly deciding to think of themselves as upright and proper. The other part of the experiment had been testing how to resolve group conflicts. Bringing the boys together to watch fireworks hadn't worked at all. They just shouted at each other and stayed apart. What had worked was warning them that there might be vandals in the park, and the two groups needing to work together to solve a failure of the park's water system. A common task, a common enemy. Harry had a strong suspicion Professor Quirrell had understood this principle very well indeed when he had chosen to create three armies per year. Three armies. Not four. And definitely not segregated by house. Except that no Slytherins had been assigned to Draco besides Mr. Crab and Mr. Goyle. It was things like this which reassured Harry that Professor Quirrell, despite his affected dark atmosphere and his pretense at neutrality in the conflict between good and evil, was secretly backing good. Not that Harry would ever dare say that out loud. And Harry had decided to take full advantage of Professor Quirrell's plan to define a group identity his way. The Rattlers, once they'd met the Eagles, had started thinking of themselves as rough and tough, and they'd conducted themselves accordingly. The Eagles had thought of themselves as good and proper. And in that bright forest clearing, scattered around the old and rotting tree stumps, outlined in the sun shining down brilliantly from above, General Potter and his 23 soldiers were arranged in nothing remotely resembling a formation. Some soldiers stood, some soldiers sat, some stood on one leg just to be different. It was the Chaos Legion, after all. And if there wasn't a reason to stand in neat little lines, Harry had said disdainfully, there weren't going to be neat little lines. Harry had divided his army into six squads of four soldiers each, each squad commanded by a squad suggester. All troops were under strict orders to disobey any orders they were given if it seemed like a good idea at the time, including that one. Unless Harry or the squad suggester prefixed the order with Merlin says, in which case you were supposed to actually obey. The Chaos Legion's chief attack was to split up and run in from multiple directions, randomly changing vectors and firing the approved sleep spell as rapidly as you could rebuild magical strength. And if you saw a chance to distract or confuse the enemy, you took it. Fast. Creative. Unpredictable. Non-homogenous. Don't just obey orders, think about whether what you're doing right now makes sense. Harry wasn't quite as sure as he'd pretended that this was the optimum of military efficiency. 
but he'd been given a golden opportunity to change how some students thought about themselves, and that was how he intended to use it. Five minutes to wartime, according to Harry's watch. General Potter walked, not marched, over to where his air force was waiting tensely, broomsticks already clutched firmly in their hands. All wings report in, said General Potter. They'd rehearsed this during their one training session on Saturday. Red leader, standing by, said Seamus Finnegan, who had no idea what it meant. Red five, standing by, said Dean Thomas, who'd waited his entire life to say it. Green leader, standing by, Theodore Knott said rather stiffly. Green 41, standing by, Tracy Davis said. I want you in the air the instant we hear the bell, said General Potter. Do not engage. Repeat, do not engage. Evade if under fire. Of course, you did not aim sleep spells at broomsticks. You fired a spell that gave a temporary red glow to whatever it hit. If you hit the broomstick or the rider, they were out of the war. Red leader and red five, fly towards Malfoy's army as fast as you can. Stay as high as you can while still seeing them. Return the instant you know for sure what they're doing. Green leader, do the same for Granger's army. Green 41, fly above us and watch for any approaching broomsticks or soldiers. You and only you are authorized to fire. And remember, I didn't say Merlin says for any of that, but we really do need the information. For chaos! For chaos! The four echoed with varying degrees of enthusiasm. Harry expected Hermione to launch an immediate attack on Draco, in which case he'd move his troops into position and start supporting her, but only after she'd taken severe losses and caused some damage. He would frame it as a heroic rescue, if possible. It wouldn't do to have Sunshine thinking that Chaos wasn't their friend, after all. But just in case she didn't... Well, that was why the Chaos Legion was staying put until Green Leader reported back. Draco's moves would be in his own self-interest. He would predictably ready his army to defend against Hermione. He might or might not realize that Harry had been lying about waiting to attack until after that battle finished. Harry had still put two broomsticks on Dragon Army, just in case they were doing something, and just in case Draco or Mr. Goyle or Mr. Crab was good enough to shoot a broomstick out of the sky. But General Granger was the unpredictable one, and Harry couldn't move until he knew how she was moving. In the heart of the forest, with shadow patterns dancing on the ground as leafy canopies swayed high above, General Malfoy stood where the trees were relatively sparser and looked out on his troops with calm satisfaction. Six units of three troops each, the aerial unit of four, to which Gregory was assigned, and the command unit, which was himself and Vincent. They'd only drilled for a short time on the previous Sunday, but Drake was confident that he'd managed to explain the basics. Stay with your mates, watch their back and trust them to watch yours. Move as a single body. Obey orders and show no fear. Aim, fire, move. Aim again, fire again. The six units were formed up in a defensive perimeter around Draco, watchfully gazing outward into the forest. Back to back they stood, wands gripped low until they needed to strike. They already looked remarkably like the Auror units whose training Draco had watched during his father's inspections. Chaos and Sunshine weren't going to know what hit them. Attention, said General Malfoy. The six units unfolded and spun toward Draco, the faces on his broomstick riders turned from where they stood with broomsticks already in hand. Draco had decided to wait on demanding salutes until after they won their first battle, when Gryffindors and Hufflepuffs would be more willing to salute a Malfoy. But his soldiers were already standing straight enough, especially the Gryffindors, that Draco wondered if he'd even needed to delay. 
Gregory had quietly listened and reported back that Drake was volunteering to stand by Harry Potter in defense class, that time when Professor Quirrell had taught Harry how to lose, had marked Draco as an acceptable commander. At least if you happen to be assigned to his army. Not all Slytherins are alike. There are Slytherins, and then there are Slytherins, was what the Gryffindors and Draco's army were quoting to their housemates. Draco was frankly astounded on how incredibly easy that had been. Draco had protested at first about not being assigned any Slytherins, and Professor Quirrell had told him that if he wanted to be the first Malfoy to gain complete political control of the country, he needed to learn how to govern the other three-quarters of the population. It was things like this which reassured Draco that Professor Quirrell had a great deal more sympathy for the good guys than Professor Quirrell was letting on. The actual battle wouldn't be easy, especially if Granger did attack the dragons first. Draco had agonized over whether to commit all his forces against Granger immediately in a preemptive strike, but had worried that, one, Harry had been misleading him completely about what Granger was likely to do, and two, Harry had been misleading him about waiting until after Granger's attack to join the battle. Though Dragon Army had a secret weapon, three of them in fact, which might be enough to win even if they were attacked by both armies at once. It was almost time, and that meant it was time for the pre-battle speech that Draco had composed and memorized. The battle is about to begin, Draco said. His voice was calm and precise. Remember everything I and Mr. Crab and Mr. Goyle showed you. An army wins because it is disciplined and deadly. General Potter and the Chaos Legion will not be disciplined. Granger and the Sunshine Regiment will not be deadly. We are disciplined. We are deadly. We are dragons. The battle is about to begin, and we are about to win it. Extempore speech given by General Potter to the Chaos Legion immediately before their first battle on November 3rd, 1991 at 2.56 p.m. My troops, I'm not going to lie to you. Our situation today is very grim. Dragon Army has never lost a single battle. And Hermione Granger has a very good memory. The truth is, most of you are probably going to die. And the survivors will envy the dead. But we have to win this. We have to win this so that someday our children can enjoy the taste of chocolate again. Everything is at stake here. Literally everything. If we lose, the whole universe just blinks out like a light bulb. And now I realize that most of you don't know what a light bulb is. Well, take it from me. It's bad. But if we have to go down, let's go down fighting, like heroes, so that as the darkness closes in, we can think to ourselves, at least we had fun. Are you afraid to die? I know I am. I can feel those cold shivers of fear like someone is pumping ice cream into my shirt. But I know that history is watching us. It was watching us when we changed into our uniforms. It was probably taking pictures. And history, my troops, is written by the victors. If we win this, we can write our own history. A history in which Hogwarts was founded by four renegade house elves. We can make everyone study that history, even though it isn't true. And if they don't answer the right way on our tests, they'll fail the class. Isn't that worth dying for? No, don't answer that. Some things are best left unknown. None of us know why we're here. None of us know why we're fighting. We just woke up in these uniforms in this mysterious forest knowing only that there was no way to get our names and memories back except victory. 
The students in those other armies out there, they're just like us. They don't want to die. They're fighting to protect each other, the only friends they have left. They're fighting because they know they have families who'll miss them, even if they can't remember now. They may even be fighting to save the world. But we have a better reason to fight than they do. We fight because we like it. We fight to amuse eldritch monstrosities from beyond space and time. We fight because we're chaos. Soon the final battle will begin, so let me say now, because I won't get a chance later, that it was an honor to be your commander, however briefly. Thank you. Thank you all. And remember, your goal isn't just to cut down the enemy, it's to make them afraid. A great booming gong echoed over the forest. And the Sunshine Regiment began to march. The tension rose and rose as Harry and the 19 other soldiers who remained waited for the aerial warriors to report back. It shouldn't take long. Broomsticks were fast and the distances in the forest were not great. Two broomsticks approached at speed from the direction of Draco's camp, and all the soldiers tensed. They weren't executing the maneuvers that were today's code for a friendly broomstick. Scatter and fire! roared General Potter, and then suited action to words, scurrying off at top speed toward the forest cover. And then, as soon as Harry was among the trees, he spun back, raised his wand, tried to seek out the broomstick in the sky. Clear! shouted a voice. They're heading back! Harry gave a mental shrug. There'd been no way to prevent Draco from obtaining that information, and he'd only learned that they'd been standing still. And the Chaotix slowly emerged from the forest. Broomstick approaching from Granger's direction, yelled another voice. I think it's Green Leader! He did the dip and roll! Moments later, Theodore Knott dived out of the sky and pulled up in the midst of the soldiers. Granger has to fight other forces in two, yelled Knott as he hovered on his broomstick. There was sweat staining his uniform, and all the reserve was gone from his voice. She's attacking both armies, two brooms covering each force. They pursued me halfway here. Divided her army? What on earth? A large force concentrating fire on a small force could deplete that force rapidly without taking much damage in return. If 20 soldiers faced 10 soldiers, 20 sleep spells would be aimed at the 10 soldiers with only 10 sleep spells going the other way. So unless every one of those first sleep spells hit its target, the smaller force would lose more people than they could manage to take down with them. Defeated in detail was the military term for what happened when you divided your forces like that. What could Hermione possibly be thinking? Then Harry realized, she's being fair. It was going to be a long year in defense class. All right, Harry said loudly so the army could hear. We'll wait until the Red Wing reports in, and then we'll go cloud up some sunshine. Draco listened to the flyer's reports with his face calm, all his shock concealed inside. What could Granger possibly be thinking? Then Draco realized, it's a feint. One of Sunshine's two forces would change direction, and both would converge on... who? Neville Longbottom marched through the forest toward the approaching sunny force, occasionally glancing up at the sky for broomsticks. Behind him marched his squad comrades, Melvin Coote and Lavender Brown of Gryffindor, and Alan Flint of Slytherin. Alan Flint was their squad suggester, though Harry had first said to Neville, in private, 
that the position was his if he wanted it. Harry had said quite a lot of things to Neville in private, starting with, You know, Neville, if you want to become as awesome as the imaginary Neville who lives in your head but isn't allowed to do anything because you're scared, then you really should sign up for Professor Quirrell's armies. Neville was now sure the boy who lived could read minds. There was just no other way Harry Potter could have known. Neville had never talked about that with anyone or given any sign, and other people weren't like that, not that Neville had ever noticed. And Harry's promise had come true. This did feel different from sparring in defense class. Neville had hoped that sparring would fix everything that was wrong with him, and, well, it hadn't. Even if he could fire a few spells at another student in class, with Professor Quirrell watching to make sure nothing went wrong, even if he could dodge and fire back when it was allowed and everyone else was expecting it and they would stare at him funny if he didn't do it, none of that was the same as being able to stand up for himself. But being part of an army... Something strange was stirring inside Neville, as he marched through the forest alongside his comrades, upon their uniforms an insignia of fingers poised to snap. He was allowed to walk if he wanted to, but he just felt like marching. Beside him, Melvin and Lavendor and Alan all seemed to feel like marching too. And Neville softly began to sing the Song of Chaos. The tune was what a muggle would have identified as John Williams' Imperial March, also known as Darth Vader's theme and the words Harry had added were easy to remember. Doom, 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 By the second line, the others had joined in, and soon you could hear the same soft chant coming from nearby parts of the forest. And Neville marched alongside his fellow Chaos Legionnaires, strange feelings stirring in his heart, imagination becoming reality, as from his lips poured a fearful song of doom. Harry stared at the bodies scattered across the forest. Something inside him felt a bit queasy, and he had to remind himself hard that they were only sleeping. There were girls among the fallen, and that made it a lot worse somehow, and he would have to be careful never to mention that in front of Hermione, or the Aurors would find his remains stuffed into a small teapot. Half of Sunshine Army hadn't put up much of a fight against all of Chaos. The nine ground soldiers had run in, screaming inarticulately with simple shields raised, circular screens to protect their faces and chests. But you couldn't fire and hold the shield at the same time, and Harry's soldiers had simply aimed for the legs. All but one of the sunnies had fallen over as soon as the cries of Somnium filled the air. The last one had dropped her shield and managed to take out one of Harry's soldiers before being hit by the second wave of sleep spells. The sleep hex was safe for multiple hits. The two sunny broomsticks had been much harder to take down and had accounted for three chaotics before being aura by massed ground fire. Hermione wasn't among the fallen. 
Draco must have gotten her, and that was making Harry feel angry on some completely incomprehensible level. He wasn't sure if he was feeling protective toward Hermione, or cheated that he hadn't been the one to do it, or maybe both. All right, Harry said, raising his voice. Let's everyone be clear on one thing. That wasn't a real fight. That was General Granger making a mistake in her first battle. Today's actual fight is with Dragon Army, and it's not going to be anything like this. It's going to be a lot more fun. Let's move out. A broomstick fell out of the sky, approaching terrifyingly fast, and spun on its end and decelerated so hard you could almost hear the air screaming in protest, and came to a halt directly beside Draco. It wasn't dangerous showing off. Gregory Goyle simply was that good, and he didn't waste time. Potter's coming, Gregory said, with no trace of his usual fake drawl. They've still got all four of their rooms. You want me to take them out? No, Draco said sharply. Fighting over their army gives them too much of an advantage. They'll fire on you from the ground, and even you might not be able to dodge it all. Wait until the forces engage. Draco had lost four dragons in exchange for twelve sunnies. Apparently, General Granger actually had been that incredibly stupid. Though she hadn't been among the attackers, so Draco hadn't gotten a chance to taunt her or ask her what in Merlin's name she had been thinking. The true battle, they all knew, would be with Harry Potter. Prepare yourselves, roared Draco at his troops. Stay together with your mates. Act as a unit. Fire as soon as the enemy is in range. Discipline against chaos. It shouldn't be much of a fight. End chapter 31 Next week is Christmas, and so I'll be taking a holiday again. I will, however, be airing a very short episode, which was originally the interlude between chapters 31 and 33. Thank you to the following people. Casey Davis was voiced by Luffy. Lauren Housley as Susan Bones. Gregory Goyle, Anthony Westbrook. Dean Thomas, David Liu. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening and come back next week for Interlude, Personal Financial Management. <laughs> <laughs>